sound design. So you just have to make sure that, you know, the channels that have to be time aligned have to go through the same amount of channel paths to get to the end completely and perfectly time aligned. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning for live sound engineers, guaranteed to improve your confidence and consistency. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by the technical director and monitor mixer for Siddhartha and system consultant for MK Light and Sound in Slovenia, Alec Stefančić. Alish, welcome to Sound Design Live. Well, thank you very much, Nathan, and great job pronouncing my name. I know, <laughs> I know it's a tongue twister. You're very lucky that I have spent a little bit of time in that part of the world, and I know what that little hat on the sea is supposed to sound like. Absolutely. I mean, I appreciate the effort. I even know that that hat is called a mech chain. Is it? Um, is it not? I'm absolutely unaware of that but if you say so i'm gonna take well, what do you call it uh well in slovene it's called streshica here's another tongue twister for you oh my god streshica streshica is redno pomembno zato da rastegnemo cel zadnji del torej hrtenico noge in jačamo zdravon yeah absolutely and am i right in remembering that those are not actually marks or accents, those are actually separate letters. You've got a C and you've got a C with a hat on it. And so in the alphabet, that's a separate letter. Yes, absolutely. That's a separate letter. And it, it sort of marks uh, a CH or an SCH sound. So next to the C, which is without the streshica, um, you have the C with the streshica, which sounds like CH. End of the story is, it's not Alice, it's not... Stefan Tip, Stefan Kick, I guess. Stefan Kick, it's Alish Stefan Chich. I lived in New Orleans when I was a part of a student exchange program when I was 16. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, for six months, I had like every possible variation of my name. Well, tell me some of them. One of them was Alish, um, okay. but that was only from one, one teacher who actually took the time uh, to do this. Um, and then I was Ailes, Ailes, uh, Alex. That Alex was was a, a, a common one. And my chemistry teacher, uh, Coach Lenou, decided I'm not going to be bothered with that. So he just called me Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's like straight out of a movie. He said, he said what's your name? Alex. Uh, yeah. I'm going to call you Chuck. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. And I was How Chuck old for the he? rest of the... Oh man, I'm I'm not sure, but he's an older gentleman now. Okay, that makes sense. I That's think he's hilarious. retired. No, but he was like one of the best teachers I had. So hello oh, cool. to him. Besides talking about your awesome name, um, I definitely want to talk to you about Digico consoles and working with the band Siddhartha. But before we do that, Alish, what is the most popular Slovene language song played by cover bands? Oh man, well Slovenia is a big polka country. So I guess one of those songs would be covered immensely. There's a song by a very famous Slovene band, which is an instrumental called Nagolici. That song is played everywhere around the world even because it has a huge fan base in, in Japan and in the States. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, a bit sort of out of my spectrum because I'm more of a rock and roll pop type of guy. But still, I think that would be the most um, popular Slovene song to be heard or played ever. Alice, how did you get your first job in audio? I started out when I was um, 10 years old playing bass in a school band. Oh, cool. I have to tell you, the bass was probably bigger than I was at that time. Because <laughs> you played uh, upright bass. No, no, no. It was a, it was a bass. Oh, the guitar, electric bass was even. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Got electric it. bass, but I was a, I was a small kid um, at ten, and then we got a really crappy old system, uh, PA system back then, and that was my first introduction to live sound. You know, oh, I, I had to, I had to sort of figure out how to 
connect stuff, you know. But it was like a, an uh, an eighth channel active mixer, no EQ. It was just input gain, fader, and then a master output. And that's how I got started. That's how I started thinking about signal flow. A few years later, I started getting acquainted with PA systems as we were playing on different stages. And I was always interested in that, you know, how things were set up. And then we went into a recording studio and then I had a million questions for the recording engineer. <laughs> um, and that really sort of got me interested in sound as such. And the studio was where I got my basic knowledge about EQs and dynamics um, mixing in general. Every band has one member that is sort of um, dedicated to setting up sound for them. And I was always that guy uh, in basically every every band that I've played in. And that sort of got me started. That's how nice. I started in audio, yeah. Okay, so you started playing music and you're playing in bands and you guys were doing shows and going to recording studios. When did you actually get your first paying gig doing audio. I did a lot of groundwork for rental companies just being their cable boy. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, and carrying their speakers around. But it wasn't really a paying gig. I just wanted to be around those systems and see how everything got set up. Okay. And how did you, um, get, how did you get that first job being a cable boy? A relative, like a distant relative uh, that had a, a small PA system, uh, which I sort of then approached and asked if, you know, I could I could help him out a bit. So your distant relative had some sort of a portable system and you asked if you could help with that. Yeah, yeah. And as his system was growing, so was my involvement with it. Um, by the age of, I don't know, 16, 17, I was already mixing live audio for bands. At around age like 18, 19, I got really into it. Looking back over your career so far, what do you think is one of the best decisions you've made to really focus in and get more of the work that you really love? The best approach that I still retain to this day is just looking at audio and music because I, I work mostly with bands and front of house and monitoring. I approach music and audio from just about any aspect I can think of. So I write, I record, I produce, I mix in a studio, um, I help arrange stuff, um, I did a lot of backing vocals as a singer, I mix uh, projects for other bands, um, and then live audio sort of is just another look at the same thing, you know. As I'm looking at the song, I imagine how it would sound live, how this can be translated to the crowd and i guess you know keeping that approach in mind that music is as technical as it is artistic um, sort of helped me create really good relationships within the industry so i would meet people um, artists on various platforms you know, I would be working with them in the studio and then later on when they decided to put things out on tour or have live gigs, uh, we would already have that connection. I would already know the music. So this sort of helps me perpetuate the cycle. It sounds like really embracing variety helped you. And so if you had a client that maybe was hiring you for something related to live sound, then if they found out that you also did some things related to recording, they would also... How are you there? So it's kind of like a 360 approach almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think this is something that has really worked well, especially in, in, in the recent past, because I believe that studio sound and live sound are basically sort of merging into one thing because a lot of the studio stuff gets translated directly into live sound. You know, we use the same plugins in live sound now as are the plugins that we use in studio. We use the same studio microphones on stages now. Uh, the fidelity of the PA system is sort of becoming more and more uh, relatable to uh, a studio setup uh, or the, the fidelity of studio speakers. So in that sense, it helps you sort of merge these two worlds together. Mm. And if you already have the vocabulary of you know, being somebody who was also involved involved with music creation and um, 
maybe knows how to arrange stuff and knows the vocabulary, you know, how to talk to artists on stage by sh remembering or sharing their experience. It just gives you an edge. It keeps you well-rounded. Uh, people know that, you know, they can talk to you about just about any aspect of of audio. And I keep a, a very, basically a humble approach it's all about the music. It's all about the song. It's all about supporting the artist. And once you do that, once you have that mentality, I think that is one of the key things to sort of have a sustainable career in this industry. How would you apply this approach you've used so well in your current location in a new location? So imagine you were moving to a different country where no one knows you yet and you had to start all over again. What would be some of your first steps to build your business again? I really believe that doing favors for somebody gets really uh, great returns for yourself. Sure, you're so, talking about maybe murdering someone for someone else. <laughs> maybe care something, of somebody's enemies for them. Absolutely. Maybe mm -hmm. something slightly less drastic than oh, that. Okay, okay, okay. But, favors, got it. Small um, favors. Yeah, 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 small favors. Like if they have um, a private party or they have maybe their own band who is performing and they... They want to, they want you to engineer for them. You say, okay, maybe I'll do this gig for free for you guys because I believe in, in in the band, I believe in the project, and then that sort of clicks because you 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 build the relationship. Maybe you are introduced to somebody else. I think it's really about you know having a a, a decent relationship, being a human being in the business. That is an approach that I I want to sort of explore and further. Uh, with my career and my work. I think you brought up a really good point, Alish, because if we were to contrast our job of being a live sound engineer with another job, let's say copy editing, man, in a way, it's so much easier to get started building a relationship with potential clients because you can just look at their website and say, hey, I noticed a few things. I'm a copy editor. I rewrote a couple of things for you. Here it is. Like, I just did you a favor. Like, I'm doing you a favor and also distinguishing myself as a good copy editor. But you, it's so much harder to do that, especially in live sound, because I don't know, even if you have, say, like a portfolio of live recordings, like, you don't do that for someone else. So you have to find other things you can do to um, build relationships with people and do favors for them as you've been talking about so the things you mentioned like um, helping someone do a party or mix their band like those are great suggestions yeah but also don't be sort of uh, trapped in a box in terms of i am this one thing so i'm not i'm never just like a, a sound engineer if you need me i can be i can be the cable guy i can be the guy that stacks boxes i can be uh, I can be the, the van driver, I can be the technical director. You know, it, there's a lot of things that need to be done for a gig. If you hang around the crowd for a period of time, you sort of know how it's done. And so if you have like this eager mind for learning and you're really ready to try something new, then jumping at that one opportunity, which might not be exactly what you're doing or want to be doing, Oh, I remember uh, you did a podcast with uh, uh, Nick Rodina, who mentioned that he was doing that he was supposed to be doing sound, but then he started selling merchandise or something like that because, sure. you, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Just don't get pegged in the box because there's a lot of different things that you do or you can do within the live audio world. Uh, so maybe you won't be doing exactly what you want to be doing, but you know, take a chance. It, it might lead you to, to bigger pastures. I wanted to start, start talking about your work with Siddhartha, but I want people to know a little bit about Siddhartha. So I thought we'd just start talking about it, and I was like, ah, I want people to know that this is like probably one of the best-known bands in Slovenia or maybe that area of the world anyway. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. So I just want people to know that before we start talking because they're probably thinking like, Siddhartha, why, do, why should I care about that? Okay, <laughs> it's 
It's a pretty big deal in that part of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, they still hold the record for the number of people uh, a Slovene band in Slovenia gathered for one show. Um, oh, how many is that? Well, if you consider that Slovenia uh, as a total has a population of two million. Okay. Um, their biggest show ran at about 30,000. Wow. Uh, so that was huge. And That's huge. We, we still consistently, when we're touring in Slovenia, we still consistently can get between three to 7,000 people at our shows. I mean, there are shows that we do in small clubs for like 200 and 500 people. But when we do open air gigs uh, and we are headlining, stuff happens. People still want to listen to them. And they've been around for more than 20 years. They've... Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they're still still really going strong. Um, and I think I'm really, really lucky in this way because, A, they're a really cool bunch of guys. I mean, it's it's almost like being a part of a family with them. Wow. And I'm one of the last people that joined their crew, their group. Uh, that was like mid-2015, something like that. Okay. And I really felt welcome. Like oh, nice! Right of the start, right That's from the, the start, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, um, it was just welcoming. And once they realized that, you know, I know what I'm talking about, that I'm, I know what I'm doing, you know, that I'm, I'm. You good know how to my, do your job. Yeah, yeah, I know how to do my okay. job. <laughs> and then, you know, when we developed this relationship, they knew that they could trust me. And from that moment on, you know, it's just, it's just a dream to work with them. And they're one of the one of the bands that really cares a lot about their sound and their stage presence and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's a joy to be working with them, really. And tell me how that got started. Did you get introduced to them from someone else or worked, on, worked with them in another capacity? Well, I've known the guys from, you know, working um, at a retail store, uh, which I was doing for 10 years. Um, and we sold uh, PA systems and studio gear and musical instruments. And I knew them as customers. I knew them from my other freelance gigs. Uh, so we were basically meeting each other at concerts where I was either doing, you know, sound um, as a rental company hire or maybe with other bands. Got it. When they had a, a really bad show in, in 2015 because they only had a front of house engineer, but they didn't have their own monitoring engineer. Oh, so before you, there was no monitor engineer. No, no, God. no. And they had a they had a really bad experience with with one of the guys at one of the festivals, and their keyboard player came into the shop like a couple of days later, and he was telling me about you know how awful this gig was and nothing was nothing was as it was supposed to be. And he said, well, maybe it's time for us to think about like a dedicated monitoring engineer. And I just said, well, if you do that, um, I would be interested and I would be happy to do it. Perfect. And I always employ this strategy uh, every time I approach a band is, look, I'll do at least one gig for free. Oh, wow. No expense on your side because... I want you to to know how I work and I want I want just basically to experience the chemistry with you guys. So, you know, you could be a great band and I could be a great engineer, but maybe the chemistry is not there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we have different ways of thinking about sound or the approach to a gig or maybe it's just, you know, I don't like somebody's attitude about something. Yeah, a lot of working together is so abstract and hard to define. So I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. So it just gives us, you know, that one time to sort of feel each other out and see um, how we click together. And it's it's been something that I've employed for other bands as well. I'm just realizing this is going back to what you said before, like trying to figure out how to do favors for people. Hey, I'll do you this favor. I'll mix your... I'll You're one of the biggest bands in the country. I'll uh, do monitors for you once for free. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, even... Um, I did that with one band before that uh, called San Diego. Um, they were a, a cool band, like f four guys playing 80s style rock and roll. Okay. Um, and I knew them separately from other bands they were they were playing in. And I called up the drummer, who's a really good friend of mine, and said, 
look, I've heard the stuff that you have released. They have just released one single. I don't know what you want to do with this project, whether you're going to tour or whatever. I just want to let you know that I really dig your sound. I think this is going to be great. If you ever need somebody to do live sound for you, I'll do it, you know, first time for free. And then you guys can decide whether to hire me or not hire me. But, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I really appreciate what you guys are doing. So that sort of developed an, an, a new relationship. And uh, we had a great time for a while because, you know, they're a cool band and I enjoyed working with them. Yeah, I love um, that. I really like your approach. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's sensible in a way because for me, when I work as a musician as well, I'm going back to the recording situation, even if I have like hired musicians, I always think about, you know, how well do I know this person? I'm going to spend time with them in the studio and I know they're a good player, but are they the right player to inspire me and to, you know, sort of invoke these creative juices that need to happen in the studio? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not only about, you know, who's the, the most technically advanced player or like like a like a guitarist who can run the scales the fastest it's it's about the connection and i'm always sort of thinking about i need to have that connection but other people need to have that connection with me as well so that's how i approach uh sort of getting jobs in live audio as well um, Alish, I want to hear more about the work that you do with Siddhartha. So tell me about what it's like being their monitor engineer. Do they carry a lot of their own gear? Are you showing up and using something completely different every time? What's the gear situation like? When when I started out with them, I was just the monitoring engineer who would come with them to their gigs and work on whatever was provided by the rental company. Okay, But about... Four or five months after that, you know, we were discussing that this may not be the best approach. Plus, they weren't using in-ears and they were really sort of curious about it and thinking about it. And they sort of did the right procedure when, uh, at least in my head, when a band starts thinking about going on going to in-ears. They first hired an engineer mm -hmm. that could really figure out what they want to hear in their monitor mixes. Even on wedges, you know, you realize, okay, they need this vocal and like this member wants more kick, but doesn't really have to hear the, the left guitar. Um, and then they decided to upgrade and buy their own mixer, which we still use. It's a Behringer X32. Okay. Plus two wired systems. There are five guys in a band. And I got all that together and... I mixed, I sort of recorded one of their shows. Um, in multi-track? In multi-track, absolutely. Okay. And then what I did was um, when we got the in-ear headphones, uh, I got the same model as everybody else in the band. And so I would go home, take the mixer with me, do basically monitor mixes for all the guys in the band from my notes of what everybody wants to hear. Mm -hmm. And we get to the to the rehearsal place and you know the first time they were doing it it was wow we'd never we never actually had like mixes that were really tuned for us oh wow so this is like a revolution for them yeah absolutely because they were they were really uh doing this i think right for the first time in their lives wow. they've used iem systems before but you know it was either for one concert or they were using it with um, without actually having proper in-ear uh, earphones. It was a revelation for them, but it was also um, a really huge responsibility for me because the first gig that we did using IEMs was the first gig that they were doing after the release of their double album. Oh, wow. So it was all systems go on that one night. So they were playing songs they've never played Using the IEMs for the first time. Using the IEMs for no, the first man. time. It was, a, it was a completely different set list, you know. How'd it go? 
it, it went great. Okay, good. I, <laughs> you still have your job, so <laughs> I still have my job, and I, I tell you, I, I was probably one of the most nervous people on that gig. Oh, I'm sure. I think it sort of shortened my lifespan for a couple sure. of years, <laughs> but but uh, but it it sort of got me in a place where I got extra trust points from all the all the members of the bands, like like yeah. in a super level video game. Wow! Um, so you know, once we once we've done that, then everything else was sort of just fine tuning and finding the levels and doing the EQs and what whatever. But once that hurdle was overcome and they realized that this system is reliable, they didn't have any issues, they could trust me to do, you know, level changes for them. Because we also try uh, we also run a few backing tracks for well not even backing tracks, but let's say one synth sound has to be in the drummer's in ears for a particular you know, like 16 bars and then has to change levels and once i can do that for them they realize that okay now we don't have to worry about sound uh right they could do more complicated stuff potentially maybe maybe make more of their studio stuff possible live right yes absolutely but what sort of that enabled us to do is to sort of step it up and now we have a system which includes a front of house console, our own stage box, our own monitoring console. We basically just hire the local PA. And oh, we so you gave them the confidence in the technology. They were like, oh, let's do more of this. Yeah, let's say I sort of designed or helped design or helped them realize that like there could be a new way of, of doing things. It looks like I'm taking all the credit for this, but... I have great support from the band, from from the management, from the front of house engineers that I've been working with, mm-hmm. uh, from the tech crew, and they, we all really stepped it up a notch. And now, most of the times, we never do sound checks anymore. Oh, wow. We just we just go with with line checks, and then the band goes on stage, and it's we we haven't had a failure since um, that. Wow, that, that's amazing. That first night. So it was it's it's it was a different way of doing stuff. Yeah. And are you so, still in the X thirty two? Uh yeah. For the monitoring, most of the times I'm still using the X thirty two. And do you have automation now or are you still doing it all by hand? I was doing it by hand up until now, but the band is now recording their new uh their new album and we're going to have pre production basically start in the summer and that's when i plan to go you know through the set list and just really do intricate work with with cues and sessions and oh, so cool. on so, i've never had to do that on an x32 is it pretty easy yeah once you know the console it's 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 pretty cool i will use it sparingly i haven't really or haven't decided what i'm i'm going to do because i'm not really sure What's the sound going to be like for for this this tour, this album? How okay. the set list is going to change? Sure, you don't want to jump the gun. Yes, absolutely. So once I have all of these details ready, and once I hear the material, then I can decide together with the band, um, you know, what needs to happen in their in ears, and do and go from there. Alish, when you and I first met, I remember one of the biggest things you were working on was trying to reduce the low frequency energy on stage because you're the monitor engineer for this band. You're traveling all over. You're dealing with new systems every day. And, you know, the normal way people set up subwoofers is that they make pretty much the same amount of sound behind them as they do in front of them. And that sucked for you because you're standing right behind the speakers and it makes it harder for you to to do your job of um, you know doing monitors for the musicians on stage with lots of low frequency energy on stage, and probably makes it harder for the front of house mixer too. So I'm just wondering if have you been able to make any forward progress with that situation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, baby steps, but still, the hard thing is that you guys don't carry your own system, right? So you're always sort of at the mercy of whatever the local company is. Yeah, exactly. But what changed for us now is since we have now basically an entire system that we provide our own, oh, you do? Except, okay. except, except for the PA. So okay. we have all the all the consoles and all the cabling and the stage boxes and so on. 
Um, advancing the show, so talking to the PA rental companies, is now really focused on uh, subwoofer placement and system placement and, you know, oh, good. Just sort of aiming stuff. Plus, um, the guy who is now doing front of house for us is a really, really good systems engineer. So he has all that basically uh, nailed down. Wait, is that you? To... Are you talking about yourself? Um, no, I uh, okay. still mix. <laughs> I, I still talking I st- about yourself in the third person. <laughs> I, st- I still mix monitors mostly for them, okay. um, except for the last acoustic tour. One of the great engineers in Slovenia, um, Miha Arnush Arni, who uh, is a really cool guy, has all the technical expertise to just basically understand how the, the PA system is set up. And he's on board with with helping you with this project of, of um, yes okay. yes absolutely we 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 discuss sound on a regular basis and although we have sometimes like a different approach on how things should sound we work really well together um and just ensuring that everybody gets what what they need at least to some sort of a compromise so he has enough power in front of house i don't have that much rumble in the low end yeah so it's all good for everybody so when you're advancing the show, what do you say to people? You call them up and you say, hey, we're, I'm working with the band. I'm the technical director. Um, I want to talk to you about low frequency control. And then how does the conversation go? Well, first of all, I want to, I want to make sure that they receive the tech writer and that they've read it and that they've understood exactly what we need and that they know what we will be bringing with us and what they have to provide. Because I've found out through the years that the things that need to be cleared up the most are the junction points between your gear and their gear. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, some some sometimes somebody won't realize that, okay, we are working with maybe AES digital, but has analog inputs, which can be easily rectified or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So we just need to make sure that all of those kinks are taken care of. Um, and then we go into, uh, you know, what the system is going to be. How is it set up? Do we have the possibility of changing that? Because sometimes we actually don't. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a setup for a festival that's been going on for days. We don't have enough processing power or, or we don't have enough uh, amps or, or amp channels. Whatever information I can get in advance is always beneficial for us. So we get the before we have to, if we realize that um, there might be issues there, we get their way in advance if we can and just work things out with the rental company. Um, so it's just being aware of the situation. Yeah. Sometimes I'm working with a company that I don't know. It's mostly about, like I've said, you know, setting up relationships and keeping relationships with them. I think it's much easier to to get to the venue and say, I've been talking to you, nice to meet you, because we've already had this conversation and they know what I'm talking about. I know mm-hmm. what their system is. So it just makes a lot of a lot of the things go smoother that way. Alice, you were telling me a pretty wild story recently about a show that you worked on. I guess it was, it was in the winter, right? Because it was pretty cold. Yeah. And this crazy thing happened related to... Um, pyro. Should I say? Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna. I didn't know if that was the punchline. Yeah, related to the pyro. I was wondering if you could share that story again because I thought it was pretty amazing. Well, it was the first show I was doing as front of house engineer instead of the uh, our regular front of house. Okay, uh, engineer. yeah. Um, and so we set up the system. It was pretty cold outside. We had pyro that was basically set up for that show we use pyro all the time but since it was a really constricted space um they had to place it in such a way that the outermost elements of the flamethrowers were basically standing right in front of the line arrays okay and you didn't know this before or you did um, i didn't know that because pyro was tested like later on after we have done the sound check and i did my measurements and i set up the system and everything was going fine i did my virtual sound check and then the band goes on stage and we have like this nice intro and then the first major hit of the show also includes the pyro right Mm -hmm. so the band hits the band comes in and the pyro guys went all out with those flamethrowers, which basically threw the flames up to the height of my top line array, 
just mm-hmm. to make things clear. And I lost all sound above 500 hertz. It, it sort of literally sounded like somebody had just turned off the line array clusters for like a second and then then turn them back on oh wow so you thought the speakers were dying or the amps were dying or something yeah i didn't know what was going on we just like we were looking at each other and you know i've never experienced this so it was my first time and then you know like after two seconds everything was back to normal Mm -hmm. and i'm like what the what the hell's going on and the show was going through and then again I wasn't looking at the stage. I was doing some EQ changes or whatever, and then I hear like the left sound going, the left side going out, the right side going out. I look up and then I see flames sort of going like left one, right one, left one, right one, and that's when it clicked. You okay. know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the cold air, hot air, cold air, which basically takes away just everything that was supposed to reach me. So I was a bit pissed off but really relieved sure uh, <laughs> that it wasn't you yeah, it it's wasn't, not me <laughs> it's not me it's not the system you, you, you know most of the times even if you can't do anything about a problem just knowing what the issue is so oh, sure. yeah it, it just puts your mind at ease wow that sounds like it was terrifying for a very short amount of time and then you're like <gasps> okay yeah 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 <laughs> it it just added a bit of stress that i was not planning on having sure that, for your that, first that front night. of house gig with the band yeah exactly it's great yeah, yeah. Alish, one of your responsibilities working for MK Light Sound in Slovenia is to set up digital consoles for tours that are coming through and, you know, other equipment, but I'm just picking on Digico because that's a thing we talk about pretty often. Tell us about what that process is like. I work for a, a Digico distributor in Slovenia and Croatia. And sometimes when the top line uh, consoles are in, in the game, uh, they sometimes ask us to be like the tech support for certain gigs, just make sure that, you know, everything is set up correctly. And sometimes they say, okay, we will be bringing up, bringing our own template or our own session. So you basically don't have to do anything. Just, you know, make sure that we have all the stage racks connected in such and such a way. And we do that. We zero out the board, make sure that it's all working properly. And then sometimes we help them actually set up the the boards, especially if they're doing like a day or two of pre-production for a major show. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where we do some of the work, you know, uh, because it's just easier for us to sort of divide and conquer uh, everything that needs to be done. One of the shows that comes to mind was I was helping out last summer uh, for a gig in, in Croatia for Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. It was their first, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, first reunion after 20 years. Here it is, a groove slightly transformed, just a bit of a break from the norm. Jazzy Jeff, he called you up and he said, Alish, it's Jazzy Jeff. I'm going to need an SD5 for the show coming up. Here's the specifications. Um, no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't him. But it was there. Um, it was one of the guys that I really appreciate. I've been following him for for a period of time. It's the sound engineer for CeeLo Green and Jay Z and Beyonce and uh, Will Smith. His name is Kenyatta Saunders. He okay. goes by Kilo. Shout out to Kilo if you know him. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we just got the specs from him. And then we set it up, and then we had to, as the pre-production stuff was going on, um, I was there for the first two days where most of the setup happened. And was this one of those situations where the specs were basically, we just need a blank slate and we're going to bring our own show file, don't worry about it? Not so much, because okay. um, they were actually building the show still as the the pre-production went oh, on. Oh, right, because it was a reunion tour. Re- so yeah. it was like the first time it's being done, so they don't even have a show file yet, maybe. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So they were they were going off uh, a show file, they were going off uh, some of the channel presets. Um, there, it was a new band, so it was basically just, you know, going through the motions of setting everything up, uh, making sure that all, all the routing and patching and all the oxes and stuff like that was working. And it was really interesting to see a show of such a scale, a show on that level being set up. You've worked at 
um, a lot of different levels here. You've worked at a pretty high level where there are boards, you know, maxed out with everything you can do, you know, with a band that's been around for 20 years. You've helped people set up boards for a show that's just going to happen once. You're bringing stuff to people who you have no idea what they're going to do with it. I want to talk a little bit more about Digico because I feel like Digico is more on the spectrum of intimidating, I feel like, in terms of the hardware that we use. Um, it was a long time before I ever put hands on a Digico board, and I was always nervous about it. It seems sort of like this scary black box that I don't want to touch. So what about when you're setting up a Digico console for maybe a band that you're going to mix? I know with Siddhartha, you've got all these details, but with an artist that you haven't worked for, um, you're probably going to start with you know some kind of template, but you don't want to be locked in. You still want to be flexible. So talk about how you would approach that. Um, what, How much preparation can you do when you're going into work with the band for the first time? You've mentioned the template, which is funny because when I set up a console for the first time, I don't use a template. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, because there might be some things that I would import, um, like my macros, um, which is something that really speeds up the process so I don't have to rebuild them every time I program uh, a console. But other than that, contrary to popular belief, and th that's something that has been really resonating with me because I've been talking with a lot of people that sort of heard about Digico but are not really, they have not really had the experience of working on one or setting up one. And they say it's really difficult to set Digico up. And I don't share that opinion. Why um, not? Because it's it really mimics an analog board. Okay. It's it's built in in with the mentality of somebody building an analog board, like putting in the inserts with one added feature where you actually get to build the board. You are the one that sets up, you know, I want to have like 16 input channels and I want to have five mono aux buses and like five stereo aux buses and then eight matrixes and 12 whatever f effects racks and it really defines the way that you will be working and plus you can lay out all the fader banks the way you want them to be laid out uh, so everything is completely customizable which is great i'm but the true fact of it is that Digico has also built in shortcuts for getting that done really quickly. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, like ripple routing where you can basically patch, I don't know, 30, 40 channels at once if they're in a succession. Oh, wow. Um, well, so let me yeah. interrupt you for a second, Alex. So it sounds like you're saying that it's not harder. There's just more options. So it's sort of like you have to choose things from a menu before you can eat. You have to kind of Take the there's an extra step where you build the console before you can use it, but in your opinion, it's not really any harder. I think Digico is really built with the professional audio engineer in mind. You have to have great knowledge of signal flow, and which stands true for any console, um, not only Digico. But once you have that down, that sort of solves like. 80% of all of your worries. There's a couple of steps that they sort of help you with, like I've mentioned ripple routing, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that you can basically do for all channels. Like you can uh, turn on EQs on all channels at once. You can turn on dynamics for all channels at once. You can uh, set all auxes to zero. Uh, you can, I mean, there's a lot of things that Digico helps you do really quickly. Well, let's let's talk about some more of these because you, mm -hmm. you've mentioned that over the years you've gotten faster at this because of these sort of shortcuts that they have built in. So you've mentioned a couple of them already. So you can affect all channels at once sometimes in case you want to turn all EQs on um, instead of going to like each channel EQ on one at a time. So that sounds pretty great. So, so tell me about ripple routing. Well, ripple routing is basically routing channels in succession uh, with one move, basically. Okay. So let's say I want to route inputs from the first stage rack to channels one through twelve on my on my board, right? Okay. I would select all of the channels, or should I say, all of the faders on my board. 
and then just select the first channel of that stage rack and all of those inputs are on my board. Wow. Okay. And the routing is already done. There's one step of actually doing the patching and there's the other step of, like I've mentioned, uh, um, assigning faders to fader banks. So you can do that for each channel individually or again, do that in succession. So you say, okay, the first 12 channels are going to be the first uh, 12 faders on my board. And you can do that with basically one quick swoop. Of course. Um, so that's ripple routing? That's ripple routing. Ripple okay. routing is basically setting your input patches to your, or I should say any patches basically, not only input, but you can yeah, do... Yeah, from anywhere on the network, I guess. Um, exactly. Um, so it could either be local inputs or uh, stage rack inputs. It also works with outputs, which is great for me because if I have to set up like 12 in-ear uh, channels, let's say six stereo um, auxiliary buses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, instead of going to each auxiliary bus and, and just pressing, okay, output, I don't know, one, two, and then on the second one, three, four, I just say, hey, auxiliary one, start with channel one and end with channel 12. And Digico, such a smart console as it is, will basically look at all my channels in succession and say, right, you have six stereo channels. You said you want to have 12 channels distributed, so we'll do two channels per per output bus. So I have everything already set up with one move. So that's where really, you know, things get really fast, really interesting. Ripple routing helps you with faster routing. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about importing parts of other show files, like just importing your macros. What are some other shortcuts you've discovered? Yeah, like you've mentioned, this partial load is one of the best features. Uh, on a Digico where you basically basically have your session. Let's say that you are going to a festival and they have already uh, routed their matrices, so the left, right, subs, centers, delays, whatever. Um, and if you would just import your session, then all of that would be gone, right? Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, so you can just decide, okay, I'm going to import input channels, auxiliaries, uh, maybe groups, but leave the matrixes alone. So you basically just import a part of that session uh, and just sort of lay it over the session that is already there. Got it, okay. Um, so that's one of the techniques that is really fast. Um, the one of, one of my favorites is, is doing macros. Macros on Digico is one of the things that I think is really underutilized. Uh, once you get macros done, everything is way faster. Okay, and just, I think a good analogy for people who have never been on a Digico is that you could kind of think of maybe in a Yamaha universe or a Behringer universe, you've got your user-defined keys, but this is yeah. like way beyond that because it's not just one thing it can do, right? But it's like a, a whole series of things it could do and it's very flexible, right? Exactly. Macros are... It user-defined user keys where you actually tell them which functions a particular key will trigger. So it, it can be either one function, it could be like, you know, save session, or it could be recall a particular um, menu or recall a particular screen, but it can also do stuff in succession. Um, so you can program one macro to bring up, let's say, this auxiliary send with only the channels that are sent to this auxiliary bus. So you don't have to, you know, if, if you have like a lot of channels and only some of them are uh, used for, a, uh, let's say, a drummer or a keyboard player, you don't have to go through all of the channels at once. You basically press one macro and then everything is sort of laid out for you with that one press of a oh, button. Nice. So tell me about so, some of your other favorite macros that you use. Saving sessions, updating snapshots, uh, super important, really helpful to have, you know, at hand. So whenever you're working, you just press that button and it's it's saved. One of the ones that I've enjoyed lately is using a function on the last selected channel. So 
whichever channel I select, I can then go without actually going into the, the channel or pressing phantom or polarity inverse uh, switch or whatever. I can program that switch on a macro uh, and just fly when I'm setting setting up the board. So let's say I'm setting up the board for the first time. I know where my condenser mics will be. I'll just you know flip through the channels and press macros exactly where I want them. Or you can like do... Uh, stuff for only the defined channels. So let's say I'm using external plugins or inserts on three channels okay. out of 26, right? And I want to make sure that if something happens to that external stuff, my signal still goes through. But if you run something through an insert and not get the insert back, then there will be no audio on those channels, right? Right. So what I can do on macros is basically say, okay, channel, I don't know, 357, that I, which are using these um, inserts, just have that safety option of turning that insert on and off for all of these channels at once. Uh, so if, if something smart. happens... It's like your panic switch. Exactly. I already have something prepared in terms of, okay, this happened, one press of a button... We have sound, everything is back to normal, and then we can troubleshoot that. So it's an um, it's a really interesting and intricate world where a lot of people sort of hesitate to do that because they don't they have like a tons of presets, but they're not really sure what to do with those presets. And once you show them the the workflow or just you know see you use that workflow it makes so much more sense. What I've realized throughout the years is that people that don't have a lot of experience on a Digico will sort of think of it as a as a, a bit scary. Um, mm -hmm. They're a bit reluctant to approach it, a sure. bit reluctant to set it up. But once they do that, like once they've done it for like two or three times, they say, oh, well, this is really fast. You know, this is really simple. As with any professional item, you know, you have to know what you're doing. You have you have to be the operator. You know, the consoles are like computers. They are as good as the people operating them. So it has a learning curve, but it's just like any other tool. It's, exactly. And it's not any harder than any other tool or any other console necessarily. Exactly. Plus, you know, getting the sound in and out of the console is extremely easy. You, you do the basing patching and that, then that's it. You know, you're really done in a matter of, I would say minutes, but if it's a small show, it could be done in a matter of seconds. And once you get into the nitty gritty of it, you know, I love Digico because it en enables me to, to patch basically any output into any input. So I can tell the input, okay, you can listen to the stage box, but you can also listen to an auxiliary send, or you can listen to um, an output from a group, or you can listen to, let's say, you can merge several inputs together. Or it's really mind blowing, you know, the things that you can do and the intricacies of the setups that you can do once you realize what Digico is capable of. But having said that, you know, if you just want these inputs to go to those outputs, that's that that's super easy to do. Okay. So I'm sure people listening now are probably thinking, yeah, okay, maybe we believe you, but I've made a lot of mistakes on digital consoles. Alice, you have made a lot of mistakes on digital consoles and you work with a lot of people who, and talk to a lot of people who are using them for the first time. So what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making who are new to digital consoles? I've already mentioned saving. The console will save automatically for you. But it's always a good idea to have your work saved at the particular moment that you've sort of done or finished your work. Um, and there are two things that can be saved. One is the session and one is the snapshot, especially if you're using snapshots. It's always good to realize, you know, I'm, I've finished working on this particular snapshot I have to save it before I go to the next one mm -hmm. because otherwise the console still thinks that you're making changes and won't record the last thing that you were doing on on a previous snapshot if you have fired the next one without saving it. Got it. Okay. Uh, so that's one. Uh, there's one that has really um, just 
crossed my mind like yesterday or the day before. Uh, a lot of these items, uh, a lot of these either consoles or stage boxes have uh, redundant power supplies. So you basically have two hot swappable power supplies inside of a console, right? What I've seen people do day in, day out is plug in both of those redundant um, power supplies into the same power outlet okay. on, the same, <laughs> on the same phase. Sure, right? that kind of defeats the purpose, yeah. That, that really defeats the purpose. So, you know, uh, the system has a lot of backups and it's, uh, I could talk immensely to you about, you know, one of the things that I really love about Digico is the, the dual engine design. Mm-hmm. Where the and control that's in the that's in the SD7, right? Uh, no, it's it's uh, basically built in into all digital boards, but the SD7 oh, wow. has a redundant engine. So uh, let me just clear that up. Okay, all the SD series and even the S series of digital boards have the control PC and the audio engine, and those are separate. Okay. Okay. Not not like other consoles where everything is basically on one engine. So you would have the operating system, the control application, and the audio engine booting up at the same time. Which means when you boot up the console, let's say after either a power failure or just turning it on, it takes about 30 to 40 seconds to get audio through the console. Because first of all, you know, the BIOS has to load up or what, whatever version of that is in, in that operating system. And then the operating system has to load up and then the control application has to load up and then the faders or the control surface has to load up. Mm-hmm. And then the audio engine loads up. And when that is done, you basically can now get audio through the console. Okay, so on, that takes a little while. That takes a little while. On a Digico, it's it's different because the audio engine is run by an NVRAM chip. And that NVRAM chip is basically taking information from the control PC, which is separate. And it's just 100 times a second. It's, it asks the control PC, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? What are we doing now? And that's basically get getting information. Okay, he's moved that fader, so I guess that's what we're doing now. And once that software PC disconnects, it can be intentionally, you know, sometimes you have to work offline or you can work offline because that's what Digico allows you to do. The audio engine takes cue from that particular chip, which sort of takes over when it doesn't get any command information. So instead of asking, what are we doing now? It's telling the audio engine, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. So the audio engine will basically work on its own until it gets new information from the control PC. I see. So you can reboot the control PC and the audio engine will keep processing. So you could be in the middle of the show and reboot the control PC and it'll keep processing audio. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. And because they are separate, what happens is you don't have to wait for the control PC to boot to get audio through. Okay. That that chip will sort of remember the last state it was in. So let's say in an event of a power failure, you get sound through the console in about three to four seconds. Oh, wow. Even before the control PC has booted, even before you get the the operating system up, right? The audio is, is already passing through. So that's the really great things about Digico. It, it just helps to keep the show going. The most important thing is run audio through. Whatever happens, you know, have sound running through the board. Sure. And I, I think their design is really one of the designs that ensures that you have the best chance of doing just that. So, Alish, so far we have biggest mistakes, uh, not saving your session, not saving your snapshots, connecting redundant power supplies to the same power source. Any other uh, common mistakes you see people doing who are new to digital consoles? You can basically route anything anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So, in order to do that, console has um, no built-in delay compensation. Because if you're running outputs in series, it basically has no way of knowing what your zero timeline is, right? Right. But what they've done in Digico is said, okay, no matter what the channel 
um, process is. Oh, no matter what type of channel you, have, it could be an input, it could be an auxiliary, it could be a group, it could be a matrix. Um, each processing channel path has the same amount of latency, which is 14 samples. So let's say you want to do um, parallel compression, and that's something that a lot of people do, uh, you know, just to sort of maybe fatten up the drums, or let's say take an input channel like a kick, and then you would route it to the master bus, but then route it, uh, route the same channel to a group as well, and then that group to a master bus. And if I do that, though, I'll have an extra 14 samples of latency, and they won't be arriving they at the same time? They won't be time aligned. Okay, exactly. Plus, you will have phasing. So when you have when you when you have that knowledge it's it's an easy thing to fix right so just open another like clear group don't route the, the kick into the master bus directly route it to two groups one of them is clean one of them is processed and then those two groups get routed to the master bus so you have the same channel path and that means that you have the same time alignment when they get to to the, to the master bus when they get summed up together. Um, what they've done really cleverly is it doesn't matter what you have, um, what type of processing you have on that channel. So let's say that you're running um, two channels through groups, or like I've mentioned, returning back to that parallel processing, it doesn't matter if you have one group without any processing, let's say without an EQ or dynamics turned on, and the other group has the dynamics and the EQ and whatever you want internally um, turned on on that particular channel, they will always be, both of them, they will be time aligned. So so, um, once you know that, you basically know that, okay, although my inputs channels are time-aligned no matter what I do in them, unless I go, let's say, to an external, I don't know, Waves plugin, which adds another latency, but that's a whole that's a whole different um, thing that you have to consider. But speaking internally, you know, all of these channels will be completely time-aligned. All of the group channels will be completely time-aligned. And it's basically like stacking Legos. You just have to realize how many Legos are in a row for a particular channel before it gets to the master bus. So you just have to make sure that, you know, the channels that have to be time-aligned have the same amount of of Legos, have have to go through the same amount of channel paths to get to the end completely and perfectly time-aligned. They give you complete freedom, but like, you know, what was it, Spider-Man? With great freedom comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Something like that. No, great power. Great power. Oh yeah, great, great power. Uh-huh. Well, Digico is really powerful stuff. So with great power comes great responsibility. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the signal keep... could go anywhere, but if it does, you need to know what's happening. Exactly. You know, you like I've said, once you know how the signal flows, and once once you know that every processing channel has the same amount of latency, you know, working out how much of that and how you will fix that is basically child's play. Like I've said, you know, once you have like knowledge of these, you know, few bits and bobs here and there, um, you are all set to go. But like I've mentioned, if if your goal is just to have like an input through an output and not really be bothered with all that intricate stuff, you know, in terms of I need to uh, really, you know, run through matrices and then add auxes to matrices and whatever crazy thoughts you have in your head in terms of how to route your show. If you don't do that, that's completely fine. It's it's easy to work with. If you do that, it's your responsibility to make sure that, you know, that happens properly. Alice, if I were a publishing house and I was publishing your book, I would title it A Few Bits and Bops Just Here and There. <laughs> Alice, what's in? Why? (laughs) Explain yourself, Nathan. (laughs) Because it's funny. Just for now, pretend that you don't have to go. Alice, what's in your what's in your work bag? What do you take to gigs? Laser distance measurer. I'll have my my laptop with my smart rig in it. Uh, I'll have my measuring microphone. Um, I'll have uh, extra cables that I'm using. I'll have 
what else you know headphones i'll have stuff that will help me sort of uh clean in-ear earphones on the floor oh, right that's like, some specialized stuff right yeah like like wet wipes and stuff like that gross um yeah well <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's that's what happens the glamorous the glamorous life glamorous of job yeah um okay sorry let me interrupt uh what microphone uh, I I use uh, like a Berger ACM uh, ECM eight thousand I think it is. It's really cheap, but it gets the job done. Um, because I've realized that you know even if the measurement is like two dB off here and there, it won't really matter. I'll I'll still get a, a good read, a good enough read for me to do, um what needs to be done. Then in terms of earphones, uh, we are working with Ultimate Ears. Uh, so I have my UE seven Pros. I'll have a spare. Uh, headphones just in case I'll have a lot of cables from quarter inch to eight inch or just eight inch connectors for for headphones stuff like that and appropriate clothing that's always a good thing to have what are you, you talking know, about it trust me when you're working day in day out uh, layers of clothes are as important as anything technical that you have in your bag because if you're freezing for three hours behind a mixing console... Oh, does it get um, cold there? It, it could, yeah. Because we are working open air. Like last year, we've done gigs, uh, you know, in December, on December 25th, December 23rd. It, they were open air. Um, so it can get pretty cold. So you just have to make sure that, you know, you bring the appropriate attire with you. Got it. Okay. Anything yeah. else? Um, I think that's it. Oh, uh, yeah, iPads and uh, iPad, iPad, multiple iPad, iPads in your bag. <laughs> I have I have one iPad. Plus, I I do some of the control stuff from my iPhone. Um, I'll have a spare. I'll have a spare switch. Uh, a couple of network cables. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Um, Alish, where is the best place for people to follow your work? I've just set up my own website, uh, oh, www.gainmedialab.com. Gain Media Lab. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Um, where I write my blog on a, on a weekly basis. What just, are you writing you know, about there? Like uh, hot chocolate and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hot chocolate, fudge, and marshmallows. Mm, yeah. um, okay, I'll read your blog. <laughs> no, it's just my, um, my philosophy on live audio. Um, audio okay and you know maybe some some tips on on digico stuff and okay stuff like that yeah sounds good alice thank you so much for joining me on sound design live it was a pleasure nathan and uh, thanks for having me sound design thanks for listening to sound design live as usual i took a bunch of notes about all of the stuff that alice and i were talking about and i'll include them all in the show notes for today's podcast along with links to the music that i used which was all by alish himself and you can find all of that over at sounddesignlive.com sound design live is supported by bob and ellis and you can start supporting the show today for as little as one dollar per episode over at patreon.com slash sound design live 